Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 34. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of our message notes or beginning on page 792 in your worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's word. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison and the jailer, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison, prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire household that he believed in God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, in the story that Bud just read for you, we found the founding of one of the ecclesias of the New Testament. It was the ecclesia or the church in Philippi. The very first uh, time, the first uh, forays of the gospel into Greece, or actually into Europe, uh, Europe itself. And in that story, we discovered that there were three very different people, all of whom had responded to the good news about Jesus. One was a wealthy businesswoman. The other was an oppressed slave girl. And the third one was a Roman Gentile. A woman, a wealthy woman, an oppressed slave girl, and a Roman, uh, a Roman soldier. Three very different people, all of whom, whom formed that very first community. It was an odd kind of a community. Imagine going to the church that met there in Lydia's home, and inside of it is this girl who's very likely uneducated, well, certainly uneducated, who was set free from uh, demonic oppression. She's set free from slavery. In it is a wealthy businesswoman, a, a seller of, of, of fine goods, and then there's this Roman soldier, and they're all gathering together, and they're singing together, the Lamb has overcome. And then one of them gets up and starts to read the scriptures together, and perhaps they're reading the letter that the Apostle Paul had written to them, because there's a letter in the Bible written to that very church. You know it as the book of, do you know what it is? Philippians, that great letter about joy, that letter where it says, um, let, let, let none of you look down on one another, but serve one another. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and they're hearing that, and there's these very, very different people. You know, one of the incredible things about the community which Jesus left behind was the fact that it made brothers and sisters out of people who otherwise would have had nothing to do with one another. Can you imagine a Roman soldier caring about a, a, an oppressed slave girl, <laughs> talking to her on the street and having any real interest in her? Can you imagine a wealthy businesswoman from far away having interest in this uh, person uh, who's uh, uneducated or this soldier? No interest at all, but these people were brought together. They would have otherwise been disinterested in another, and now they consider themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a revolutionary idea because it is the inclusion of women and men of Gentiles and Jews, um, yeah, uh, uh, of, of Gentiles and Jews, and of slave and free. The inclusion of all these people all on an equal base, a basis which was utterly unprecedented in world history. It had never happened before where people had been brought together. The lines of class and division and gender and, uh, and ethnic were just 
starkly drawn, and there was no crossing. The, the boundaries were very clear, who you were, where you stood, and how you fit into that culture. And now in the gospel of Jesus Christ, these people who were once masters and slaves are now become brothers and sisters. These one, people who were once sworn enemies have now become brothers and sisters. This is one of the most amazing things about the New Testament church. It's one of the things which the Christian gospel brought to the world which had never, ever happened before. The very idea of equal rights and equality comes directly out of the New Testament, comes directly out of that. The reason we think that all people matter and that, uh, uh, that every human being has a right to be treated careful, uh, 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 with respect and with dignity, the reason we think that is because of this story in the New Testament about how the gospel of Jesus Christ brought everyone together in him, all on the same footing. You didn't have a better step in if you had a good upbringing. In fact, everyone came to Jesus the same way, simply offering themselves to him and his sacrificed love. This was the way things were in the, Old, in the New Testament world, in the Greco-Roman world of that time. The boundaries were clearly defined, but Jesus obliterated those boundaries, and we see a beautiful picture of that in the founding of this church at Philippi. After all, consider this prayer from the Jewish prayer book. It's a daily morning prayer, which was prayed by devout Jews in Paul's time, and it's a morning prayer which is still prayed even today, although they're sometimes with variations. Among other things, this prayer says this, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me, and then a number of things are said, and then at the end of the prayer, it continues by saying this, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. <laughs> it's a prayer directly out of the first century Jewish prayer book, still part of the daily prayer routine among very conservative Jews, even still today. Part of, thank you, it really doesn't mean to be disparaging necessarily towards every culture, but lifting up the, the selection of God of themselves. And it is that, set, and, and, and consider who it is that respond to the gospel. Exactly what that prayer says, a Gentile, a slave, and a woman. This makes the story of the founding of Ecclesia Philippi especially fascinating. For when Luke wrote the book of Acts, he can tell us how this church began. He includes the story of these first three converts, and they were a Gentile, a slave, and a woman. That's right, the very people mentioned in the daily morning prayer are the ones who made up the first core of that Philippian church. Now, I won't say it again, but I just want you to know that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. It's a breaking down of boundaries. So we're going to take care, take a, take a look at this uh, little story in the, in, the, in, the, in, the God, in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. And as we do, we will learn something about the kind of people in Ecclesia Philippi, the varied pathways into Ecclesia Philippi, and the common denominator of Ecclesia Philippi. There's a lot of syllables in those words, aren't there? Ecclesia is simply the Bible word for church. It means gathering, called out ones. Uh, it's, a, it's a community they call themselves. They were called to faith in the gospel, gathered in love as Jesus' community, and sent on Jesus' mission. They were the called, gathered, sent community of faith and love and hope. That's what we call ourselves, Ecclesia, a community of faith, love, and hope. So let's take a look at, first of all, the people in that church in Philippi, the Ecclesia in Philippi. And let's think about how it might apply to Ecclesia in Cave Creek. 
the kind of people in Ecclesia Philippi. Notice the wide variety. There was, first of all, as I mentioned, a wealthy businesswoman. A wealthy businesswoman. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to scan back through. I will look at maybe some other sections, but essentially. We see that when they... Uh, oh, get the wrong, wrong book here. Um, uh, when they were going to the, uh, the... They went to a place of prayer into Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer and sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, what we find is that typically when the Apostle Paul showed up in a new community, he would look for the local Jewish synagogue. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. It required 10 families, 10 families, 10 men, male families, uh, in order for there to be a bona fide synagogue where they would have one. So there was none. But there was a place of prayer where Jewish and non-Jewish peoples who respected the, uh, uh, the Jewish faith would gather. So they went and found this place of prayer over by the riverside. This church was literally found, found, founded down by the riverside. That's where it started, okay? And so one of them who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She was an immigrant to that area, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. So she was a person not of Jewish descent from a faraway place called Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple goods. So, and this identifies her in that culture as a seller of fine apparel. Purple, maybe it still is, but it was at that time a very difficult and expensive dye to add to clothing. And if you sold purple clothing, you were selling to a high clientele. And this was a businesswoman named Lydia. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God opened her heart to Paul's message. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So who was this person? Well, she was, first of all, a religious person. She was a, a, a worshiper of God. She had come to be fascinated by the one, the one Jewish God who had made the whole universe and to whom the whole world belonged. She wasn't Jewish herself, but she was a, a, what would be called a God-fearer. She was a religious person. She was also a woman of that day as well. She was a businesswoman, a wealthy businesswoman, a devout, wealthy businesswoman. She was of the religious type. And when the Apostle Paul came in and told her the story about Jesus, the one which is all the way throughout this book of Acts, she, the Bible says the Lord opened her heart to that message. The Lord opened her heart to that message to pay attention. And she heard it with fresh eyes. She said, I want that good news about Jesus, the crucified Messiah who was raised from the dead and died for the sins of the whole world to anyone who would place their faith in him. See, this was a very religious person, but she knew that she, she discovered that she needed a heart change conversion experience because of what the message of the gospel was. There are a lot of people who are religious in our day. They're good people. They believe in the one God who made the universe. They have a faith in this God in a general sense, and we affirm that. But we, like the Apostle Paul, want to say to you that this God came to live among us in the person of Jesus. He was God walking in our middle in our in our midst and this god died under the weight of the world's sin but rose to new life so that he could re remake 
God's beautiful and yet broken world. He rescued it by his love, and we respond in faith to him. The message is not what I can do in order to make God accept me, but what God has done to bring me to him. I'm not saved by my religious deeds, my good deeds, by how good I am. I need to come to God the same way as the murderer on death row. I'm in no better place. I need to come to him, repent of my sin, receive him as my Savior, trust in his death and my behalf, and then I will have a relationship with God based not upon my uh, good deeds that I'm bringing equity into this relationship. <laughs> no, like the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Often it is we religious types who have the hardest time realizing how much we need God. Because we got a lot of good things going on. We want God as an addendum to help us in our lives. We don't realize that God is meant to be the source of our life. They respond in faith to him. But this wealthy woman understood that story. She heard the message, changed her heart. And she became a follower of Jesus Christ. And did you notice that? She was baptized. It was an evidence of her faith in Christ. She heard the gospel and her life was changed. That's one of the kind of people in Ecclesia Philippi. But there's a second one, as we've already noted. This is an oppressed slave girl. And so the, Luke goes on in his story, Luke who wrote the book of Acts, and he says, as we were in verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, they went back to that uh, place of prayer down by the riverside. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed to you the words of salvation. They were, she was saying the truth, but she was saying it at the behest of an evil spirit. And it was annoying to Paul. It apparently kept happening all the time. And he probably looked at her, and he saw how she was being taken advantage of by those who owned her. She was a slave. She was oppressed. by She had demonic oppression, and she also had the oppression of slavery in her life. She had cultural oppression. And so the apostle Paul looked at her, looked at her and he said, said to her, verse 18, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Jesus, uh, the, the apostle Paul spoke directly to that demonic spirit in that girl's life, and the spirit came out of her, but what was the commandment in the name of? It was in the name of Jesus Christ. This little, this little girl, I think it was a little girl who, uh, who had no hope, no future, was abused in probably every way imaginable by her owners, now is set free. But the owners aren't very happy about it, are they? <laughs> because now their source of income is gone. And so it says, when, um, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And so they, they, they argue, they, they bring these people, they're, they're Jews, they bring them, and they act as though they're enemies of the state. But what's the real reason? They're enemies of their pocketbook, right? The gospel had taken away their source of income, and so they come and they say, this is all about our country. And so they, they, uh, furor happens over, over them. And so the crowd joins in. The magistrates tear their garments, give them order to beat them with rods, and they inflicted many blows on them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So we have this little girl who was under oppression, 
who had no future. She's worlds apart from Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman who wears purple and sells it to others. Worlds apart. But the same gospel story that Lydia heard is the same story that changed her life. She had a direct experience of the power of God, and no doubt then she responded in faith to the God who had set her free from that kind of, uh, of oppression. She needed the gospel just like that woman from uh, Thyatira did. That's the second person. And the third one, we would call him a Gentile or Roman jailer. He's a jailer. And so they throw them into the, into the into the prison, and they fasten their feet into stocks. And what do Paul and Silas do? But they start to sing, the Lamb has overcome, or whatever they sang, the Lamb has overcome, right? Uh, uh, they, what, however, glory, da, da, da. We sang it earlier. I forget how it goes right now. But they were singing it together at the top of their lungs. The jailers hearing that. And, okay, they're at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened, and everybody is set free. The, the jailer is responsible for all those people, so he assumes naturally that everybody's run off free. So he comes out. Um, uh, and the jailer called, uh, uh, when the jailer woke, verse 27, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that his prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear before Paul and Silas. Imagine all the things that had happened to them. He just had these, these Jewish prisoners thrown in. He threw them into the stocks in the inner part of the dungeon. He thought that was all it was going to be, but he was going to have a strange night because what does he hear but the songs of a prayer, prayer of a worship service going on? Who are these crazy people down there? Don't they know that they're in stocks and bonds? They have no freedom. What are they doing? And ultimately, then there's a massive earthquake and everything shakes and he's woke up from his sleep, and he goes down, he sees the doors open, uh, and he's assuming everybody's gone, and his life will be forfeit for the loss of those prisoners' lives. He's about to kill himself when suddenly he realizes no one left. Everybody stayed. They didn't run away. And so trembling, he says, he says, um, uh, trembling with fear, and the jailer called, and he trembled with fear and fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, something happened here. It was not normal. <laughs> There's something you guys have got that I don't have. What did they have? Well, they had the same thing they gave to that woman who sold purple in the marketplace. We had the same thing they offered to that girl who was possessed by demons and oppressed by her owners. And they offered it to this German, this German, this Gentile jailer. They said, we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole family. Yes, all three of these people Desperate though they were, had the same gospel story told to them. See, this is how, uh, the, and so co consequently, these people were brought together into a 
family, and they began to have church together. The wealthy, educated woman next to the illiterate slave girl, next to the hardened Roman soldier who now was a jailer. They're all united together. I can't help but think of the gatherings that happen in AA communities around the world when people at all economic level are gathered together because they're seeking, they have a common bond, their addiction to alcohol and their desire to be set free from that. And they're all brought together. Well, you and I are brought together. All these people were brought together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might say because of our addiction to sin and how that Jesus comes to set us free. You see, the gospel brings us together in community. This is how the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Remember, Jesus said it to his disciples in John 13, 34, and 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Jesus saw into the future when the various divisions and separations um, of all communities would be broken down by his gospel and a new community would start. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. See, it's not by our doctrine or even our deeds, as important as both of these are, but it's our love, our love across racial, ethnic, geographic boundaries, our love expressed in tangible ways is how people will be drawn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us? It means that no matter who we are, we need Jesus. But once we've received Jesus, we become a family, all different kind of people. We become a family. You know, we have been, we're talking about our small groups right now, and I want to put in a little plug for that here in the context of this message. The early church was not a bunch of buildings where people built and had massive church services. It was really a lot like church at the chip in a lot of ways. They just found a spot where they could meet. For them, it was down by the riverside. For us, it's down by the saloon, you know. Wherever people like to go, that's where we like to gather, right? And so we have a church here. And in those churches, they were generally not large groups. They were small family groups who met together. And they met together in order to learn what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and also to learn how to love one another. Remember a few weeks ago, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. It's so important that we get connected with people, even people who are very different from us. Yes, get into a group. Find yourself involved in one of these small groups or help start one of your own. Um, and uh, the more varied the group is, the more it will look like the church at Ecclesia, at, at, well, at Philippi. We're the Ecclesia in Cave Creek, but they're the ones in Philippi. So get into a group. And notice also that as the gospel of Jesus crosses barriers, you and I should be barrier crossers in our sphere as well. Ignore the boundaries that exist culturally and eth eth ethnically around you. Get involved with knowing people very different from yourself. That's the way the gospel is beautiful. Okay. All right, so we saw the, varied, uh, the, 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 the kind of people in Ecclesia Philippi. Let's look at the, the varied pathways into Ecclesia Philippi. The varied pathways into Ecclesia Philippi. I've already kind of alluded to all this, so I'll just mention it really briefly. There were a lot of ways these people found themselves into that church. Did you notice that? You see, the woman, the, the wealthy woman heard the words of the gospel. The impoverished or oppressed slave girl felt the change in the gospel in herself. 
And the, the Gentile jailer, the Gentile jailer experienced, uh, saw the evidence of the gospel. You see, we can hear the gospel, we can feel the gospel, we can see the gospel. That's what happened to all of these people. The wealthy woman heard the gospel. Some of us need to hear the words of the gospel. We need a rational explanation. We need to understand the truth of it. We need to know what, that it makes sense. We need to hear the story. That's the way often many of us come into faith in Christ. But that's not the only way to come into faith with Christ. That's how the woman, the wealthy woman, came to faith. But what about the slave girl? The, if the woman heard the gospel, the slave girl felt the gospel. She was just on her way somewhere to a normal day, and suddenly her heart was changed. Her life was changed, not because someone told her a story and she said, I believe it, but because the story came and made a difference in her life. And for some of you, you say, yeah, that's what happened to me. I came to that church one day, and I just felt something. Something was different. I began to see life differently. And then I began to hear the story of the gospel. Her life was changed, and then now her heart was changed as well. So the woman heard the gospel. The slave girl felt the gospel. What about the soldier? The soldier saw the gospel. He saw it in the singing of the Paul and Silas. He saw it in the earthquake. He saw it in the prisoners not running away. And when he saw what the gospel had done right in front of his eyes, he said, sirs, how do I get on that? How do I get saved too? The, the gospel can reach us in many ways. God uses all kinds of paths to reach us. Some of us need to hear it. Some of us need to experience it. Some of us need to see it. But all of us need to respond in faith to it. Yes, whatever, whatever path God uses, he bruises as many paths as possible to bring us to him. That's why the church needs to be an evidence of the gospel. It needs to have the preached word so we can tell the story of the gospel. But also when we gather for church, we have the enacted story. Do you know what that is? It's the Lord's table. You touch it, you taste it, you feel it, and you, you, you experience the presence of God through the bread and through the cup. The church needs to, be, uh, uh, needs to find a way for us to feel the gospel. But then the church also needs to demonstrate the gospel by doing things like, uh, like giving money to people far away we'll never meet because we love them and we want to help them. That's what the church does. If we're doing all those things, then perhaps people will say, well, I I came in because I saw a church living and active, and I thought, these people are doing something to make a difference in the world. I want to be a part of it. Or someone says, I came into the church, and somehow through the music or for the Lord's table, or somehow God touched me in some kind of way, I need to know that story and respond to it. And others say, I had doubts and uncertainties about the gospel, and someone explained it to me. All these various paths were common in that first century church. But let's look five Finally, at what is the single common denominator? We've looked at the varied pathways into Ecclesia Philippi, the kind of people in Ecclesia Philippi. But let's look finally and, and, and briefly at the common denominator of Ecclesia Philippi. The gospel reaches across all boundaries, and if the gospel is preached in many ways, what is it that ultimately unites us into Jesus' Ecclesia? It is a common Savior, 
Jesus Christ. We may not agree about every single doctrinal detail. We may not have the same racial heritage. We may not have the same economic background. We may not live in the same part of the world. We may not sing the same national anthem. We may be rich or we may be poor. We may be baseball fans or even those football fans on the other side of Harold's right now who are making noise. We may be all those kinds of people, but what can unite us together is what? That Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, that he died our death to give us his life if we have responded in faith to him so that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same bloodline, Jesus Christ, and it's his blood that cleanses us from every sin. And so we see in the 14th verse that the wealthy woman, quote, opened her heart to what was said by Paul about Jesus. And in the 18th verse, we see that the slave girl was freed from demonic oppression when Paul said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the Roman soldiers saw what happened and asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And what did Paul say in the 31st verse? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The common denominator, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So I ask you as we close, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you trusted in him? If so, if not, do it today. Lay your soul on Jesus. I don't know whether you identify with a religious wealthy woman or the oppressed demonic slave girl or the Roman soldier, but all of us can respond to Jesus. And if you've not been baptized as a testimony of your faith in Christ, be baptized as a testimony to that. Verse 33, the soldier was baptized. Verse 15, the woman was baptized. If we haven't yet, we should be baptized. And so also, let us get into community, whether it's this particular community or whatever community it is. When Jesus saved us, he saved us to be part of a family. Are you meeting up with your family at all? Or are you living as an independent free agent? <laughs> That's not the way Jesus meant for it to be. Yes, we are brought together because of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we close our time together, we will have the bread and the cup available for you. And if you're placing your faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to share in the taking of the bread and the cup. If you haven't come to that point yet, don't feel obligated. This family meal is available to anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, but no one is obligated to share in it. Let's have prayer as we close our time together. Lord Jesus, I think about... Lydia and the Roman jailer and the uh, oppressed slave girl. And I think that although there were many, many things that divided them, what united them was far more important than what divided them. And what united them was a common trust in the God who took on human skin, died our death to give us his life. Father, we are part of that same community we thank you for your love for us. If we are religious types, let us bow down before your cross. If we are the oppressed type, let us bow down before your cross. If we are the man's man who doesn't think he really needs Jesus, let us bow down like that soldier and say, what must I do? I will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you humbled yourself before us in order to offer us new life. We respond to it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.